Shut up and sit down. trade tonight and uh i'm gonna tell you a story first though okay so uh, my husband is a huge marvel fan huge so he has all the marvel movies and i have um a voodoo account and i hooked up the disney anywhere movie to my voodoo and i thought i'll just go through his marvel collection and add all the movies you know the the, the movie codes so that took several hours (laughs) Not really, but it was a long process. Anyway, so I got finished and had all my all the Marvel movies loaded in Voodoo. It's like, yay, how cool is that? So, um, th- well, they're all technically Disney titles now. So I got Disney points for each one. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know what to do with the Disney points. And so I just left it alone and just walked away, you know, and got my movies. And I got an email telling me that my Disney points were going to expire and I needed to spend them. And I'm like, spend them on what? So I go over there and they have... Things that you can buy um, with Disney points. Oh, I already had Beauty and the Beast. Um, I'm a huge Disney fan, and, um, and I don't have any um, shame associated with it. And So I'm a huge Disney fan. I, I saw Beauty and the Beast twice um, in the theater. <clears throat> Anyways, three times actually. I had to take my nieces to see it too because they were really mad that I saw it without them. Anyways, um, I... Uh, Got over there, and they had this collection of those Funko Pop dolls, and they had the Seven Dwarves, right? So I'm staring at them, and I have enough points to get one. I have enough points to get a little Funko Pop doll. You know those little plastic vinyl dolls? Anyways, my husband is leaning over my shoulder at this point, and he's like, which one are you going to pick? And suddenly, suddenly, the Seven Dwarves Pop dolls, whatever they are, turned into... A psychological test. So I'm sitting there. I'm thinking. I know deep in my heart which one I was going to get. <laughs> if there'd been a horny, I'd have picked him. Okay, so I knew deep in my heart which one I was going to end up getting. Is that right? Is he's like, so which one are you going to get? And I'm like, I really wish you'd go away so I can make my choice in private. <laughs> But he wouldn't. And so finally I did pick one. And I picked it when he wasn't paying attention because he was on his phone. And I got an order real quick and closed the screen. He's like, which one did you pick? I said, you have to wait till it gets here to find out, right? So um, about a week and a half later, the box from Disney shows up. And it's sitting. Um, he pulled it off the porch. And it's sitting on the counter. And he was like, well, which one did you pick? <laughs> And I opened it up, and I pulled it out, and I took it out of the box, and I set it on the freezer, and he was like, I don't even know why I bothered to speculate. Um, and for those of you who, who know me at all, you know I picked Grumpy. <laughs> because I didn't have a bitchy. <laughs> Which is as close to bitchy as I could get. <laughs> so anyway, I have a Grumpy... Pop Funko doll, whatever they're whatever they're called, and I forget what they're called. Um, it was one of those little vinyl dolls on my um um desk, and um 
I would love a Hulkbuster Funko Pop doll. Um, anyway, I, so I picked Grumpy, and, and now Grumpy is sitting on my desk. And I took Grumpy with me to um, <clears throat> to the cafe the other day and put Grumpy uh, on uh, um, on my table. He was a pro- surprisingly good deterrent. <laughs> He's all mean faced and shit. It's great. <laughs> okay, um, Edie, a banger is like bacon, right? Banger is 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 that like bacon or is it like a sausage? Sausage. Okay, so are kanga is as in kangaroo? Is that kangaroo sausage you're offering the chat room? Because come on now. Wow. What's kangaroo taste like? And you better not say chicken. (laughs) You better not say chicken. (laughs) Anyways. Anyways, we're going to talk about um, Rough Trade, and um, I have Jilly on my dashboard, and um, uh, she's, um, the thing about um, Jilly in particular is that she wasn't there at the start of of Rough Trade. She came in later, and so um, it, it'll be, her point of view is a little bit different than mine, and it'll be interesting to explore that, and so we're going to do that. Also, I have to tell you that I made myself a sandwich and I only ate half of it, and it's killing me. It's killing me. So at some point, while it's Jilly taunting is, you. is 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 taunting me, yeah, it's taunting me. So at some point, while Jilly's talking, I'm gonna mute myself and eat the rest of my sandwich. It's really good. I got some boar's head chicken um, sandwich meat, and um, it's got some really crisp romaine lettuce on it, and some gouda cheese, and um, I put uh, Caesar dressing. On the bread, it's, it's like, it's like and toasted a little bit. Yeah, and toasted a little bit. Uh, girls, ladies, minions, bitches. There's some good shit I put in my mouth. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh. <laughs> and she really it's has almost, to mute because of that toasted bread. It's a really fluffy French bread too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want a snack now too. I also have, and this is something um, Jilly can relate to. I also have a um, a um, Clementine, and now every time I think about Clementines, I think about you and your brother. <laughs> little, little asshole. <laughs> yeah, so I got a bag of Clementines, and like they sat on the counter, and nobody touched them for like ten days. And then I sit down one day and peeled like, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them or something. And I put the ones I didn't eat in a bag and I turn around and they're gone. And I was like, where the hell are my clementines? I said, oh, I just assumed they were for everybody. I'm like, the unpeeled ones are for everybody, asshole. <laughs> bah. Clementines are it's a, like a tan- uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a type of tangerine. Yeah. It's a type of tangerine, kind of like a, um, but they're not as sweet as a mandarin, mandarin orange. Um, I think yeah. a mandarin orange is kind of sweet, and a clementine is kind of sharp. I guess is. Nobody put it. Yeah, they're, they're really, sharp. They're really tiny. They're easy to peel. 
Um, if they've got seeds, they've got little tiny seeds. Um, they're often the thing um, I like about them is they're, they're easy to peel. The, they're very easy to peel, and that white stuff comes off really easily, whatever it's called. But um, they're often yes. marketed as um, cuties or halos in your grocery store, mm-hmm. your market. at least in the yeah. United States, yeah. So, but um, I like mandarins, too. It's just Clementines are on sale. So I paid $3.97 for three pounds. Are you mad? <laughs> No, no. <laughs> my my favorite my favorite citrus is the gold nugget mandarin. Um, that is some that's some incredible I've fruit. I love one. the gold nugget. Oh, you, gold one. nugget's got a funky season. Um, they're kind of late season for citrus. So uh, when they when they are in season, they may just now be coming into season. You got to get you some. They're incredible. I had a. Um, for the first time, I had a sugar kiss um, cantaloupe. I think it's sugar kiss. Whatever that is, it sounds good. It was amazing. I have I I, I love cantaloupe. I love fruit. Um, but um, these these cantaloupes hurt my feelings. They were so good. <laughs> I got them at an organic food market. Yeah, it's called the Sugar Kiss, and um, it is, they're from Taiwan, apparently. Oh, there you go. They're from Taiwan, and um, they're uh, they're kind of hard to find. I've seen them in passing before, but never had one, and I was over at this um, particular organic food store. Um, I want to say Whole Foods, but I'm not quite sure. Anyways, um, and I found this the sugar kiss, and um, I was like, I gotta, I gotta buy that and bring it home. Of course, it was six dollars for one. And I only bought one because <laughs> what if it sucked, right? Um, <clears throat> I brought it home. I cut that thing, and I have, you know, cantaloupe has a really distinct, lovely smell. It was like times two or times three, just the aroma of it. And I cut it, and my husband comes upstairs and says, "What are you cutting?" <laughs> He comes in the kitchen, he's like, I gotta have some of that. <laughs> that cantaloupe was like sex. It was like wow. It was it it was firm, but when you got it in your mouth, it practically melted in your mouth. <sighs> now I really need a snack. <laughs> <laughs> I love fruit. I love um apples. I got some really beautiful um Honeycrisp apples um, today at the store, but uh, I love apples and oranges and um, just the works. Pineapple, I, I love a fresh pineapple. Watermelon, I could eat my weight in watermelon. Isn't that the truth? Oh, watermelon. And watermelon is watermelon very is good for you. Ever. Watermelon is. is very good for you. It's a very good snack. It's um it's got lots of um dietary vitamins and options like that. It's also good for weight loss. Um for a very obvious <laughs> reason. If you've eaten more than a couple pieces of watermelon, you, you know exactly <laughs> why it's good for weight loss cuz it'll clean you right out. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do um 
keep things moving. All strawberries and blueberries and mangoes and um, yeah, pretty much. There's very few fruits I don't like except kiwi. I can't have kiwi. I'm allergic to it. But um, uh, I didn't like it when I did have it, so I, I'm, I'm not mad that I'm allergic to it. Because the first time I ever yeah, had one, I had an allergic reaction. I never had kiwi because it never looked good. But I tried a piece and had an immediate uh, reaction. I had a rash in my mouth. How it, makes my in my mouth. Little, it makes my throat a little itchy, but um, I don't know if that's something in the in the, in the the kiwi that makes it itchy or if it's just, yeah, I agree. Fuzzy fruits are suspicious, except for peaches. Peaches. I, I trust peaches and all of their fuzz. But I'm going to be honest about peaches. I prefer to buy peaches in the can or in that jar. It's just put up in um, fruit juice, 100% fruit hurt. juice, Del Monte. You just, you just hurt me, like legit. You I know. hurt me. I know. I'm sorry. Canned peaches? I what the hell? Find, I find peaches frustrating to cut um, and peel, and I'd much prefer to get them in um, already done for me. But it also could be because my grandmother had a peach orchard when I was growing up, and she would put up peaches. And so it was very, you know, very often she'd put up, I don't know, 40 or 50 cans or mason jars full of peaches every year. And that's just how I grew up eating them. And because after you pick a peach, you can't keep it very long. So when peaches were, when peaches were ready to pick. They had to be picked and canned. They couldn't be picked and left on the in a bowl like like an apple could be, or you know. <clears throat> so peaches went from the tree to the canning process pretty much on a factory level basis at my grandma's house every summer. So there was no there was very, very often there were very few peaches left that weren't canned. <clears throat> now my mother will eat them. Skin and all. That's how I eat them. Mm. I don't. I don't. I don't peel a peach. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Georgia, and there's a peach on their license plate for a reason. They have a lot of peaches <laughs> in Georgia. I love the way peaches smell, and I um. But uh, most often, when I buy fresh peaches, it's because I'm going to put it in a pie. So it's gonna get peeled and cooked and <laughs> or a cobbler. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with peach cobbler. No, I I'm not talking about food. I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to just like put you guys on hold and go get a snack. <laughs> I have an aunt who likes to grill peaches. Oh my god. <laughs> oh there's nothing there's, no, there's nothing wrong with a grilled peach either. Ooh, there's nothing wrong with a grilled peach. <laughs> Damn. If you ever have an opportunity to have peaches done that way, don't hesitate. <laughs> like, oh, yes, I'll have that. Thank you. <laughs> don't make it weird. Yeah, somebody says the grilled peaches on a dish and go, that's strange. No, it's really not. It's really not. It is not strange. I get my mom in my car yesterday or Friday. Yeah, it was Friday. Um, and um, the radio was on. And Boy George, it was Culture Club song was on. She said, oh, good Lord, Boy George. I said, there's not a damn thing wrong with Boy George. <laughs> I got really defensive. <laughs> don't be harsh and don't be judging George, poor George. Come on. 
But um, we're talking about Rough Trade because I was uh, working on Rough Trade today, getting everybody's, um, getting the first group of um, sign-ups through the process, you know, getting their categories and their tags made and getting their membership shifted from subscriber to contributor so they can start building their project files. I was thinking about Rough Trade and, and how it um, it really changed my um, my uh, my regular experience with fandom. My everyday experience with fandom changed because of Rough Trade. Um, and um, the thing is, is that writing can be a very solitary um, activity. It's, it's very isolating. And when um, it's why I leave my house and go places to write so I can interact with other writers and other people and we meet up and have groups and um, have our own little mini, uh, I don't want to say convention, but like seminars where we teach each other things that we've learned and share our writing experiences to grow as writers. And I didn't have that experience online anywhere. I didn't have anywhere I could go to do that in, in a way that I felt was um, – comfortable because when you open yourself up craft wise to other writers it can be a very you know intimate experience to have and um it's that's hard to replicate online it's mm-hmm. really hard and i think that uh that naked nano uh and what and what eventually evolved into rough trade really kind of grew into that very uh, intimate writing experience that I get with writers in, in meat space in a way that I didn't expect. Now, our first rough trade was um, Naked Nano, and it was in... Oh, I have a database for each challenge. Uh, and our first challenge was in 2011. And there were just 21 of us and um it was just a it was a national novel month um national novel writing national novel month challenge it was a nano challenge and we did that again in 2012 it was just that one challenge in november and then in 2013 we went whole hog <laughs> we did april july and november and we've been doing that ever since and so um and i don't, I don't know which year you started 2013. In November. The, yeah, November, n- Nano 2013. Because I didn't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know when you started the three challenges a year. I remember. I remember that year. when I was reading the site. I remember when I was reading the site. There was a thing about summer was original fiction or intended to be original. Or that summer, I guess, summer of 2013 had been original fiction only or something like that. It was original, and there were just and there were just twelve of us who participated. Um, and then we moved into, um, and that's actually the summer that I tried to write "Fall for You" on Rough Trade, and I wrote about half of it. <clears throat> and then um, you joined us in November of that year. Mm-hmm. And I had stumbled across the site um, before that. It was whatever, it was the very, it was right before, like, like literally, like two days before the takedown, um, before the, the things came down the site, the wooden lady holder wrote um, Lion Rampart. Um, because I was in the middle of reading that 
when the site got cleared off, <laughs> which is how I found. I, how I found it. I was looking for. I was looking for Sentinel. Um, Sentinel. Um, NCIS stories, and I don't remember. I don't remember how I got pointed to that story, but I wasn't familiar with it at all. And there, so I'm reading, and I had, I was seeing all of these stories that sounded really interesting, and so I would have bookmarked like I don't know, like practically every story um, that was being written. And I'm like, what is this site? And I didn't really investigate it too much because I was reading, and then I go click on something, and it's like, you know, you, you misdirect. And I went and checked all the links. And they were, all the stories are gone. I was like, I'm really confused. <laughs> I think I better do some investigating. And so, um, and then I started, I don't remember, I, maybe I just was, maybe I was following the site and you had posted one day about signups. And I went, huh, okay, maybe I'll try this. Uh, I think it was kind of an impulsive decision. And that was November Nano 2013 is when I signed up the first time. Lady Holder wrote Lion Rampart in April of 2013. That was her um, April project for 2013, which at the time we were, you know, that's our novella month. Or um, what it's fast becoming is, is going to be a mixture of novella and um, uh, do-over, basically, or mulligan fix where you can either do a new project or continue to work on something old um, mm-hmm. if you have something that fits the challenge. Because um, this month, um, this time we're going to do um, Harry Potter, but you can do a work in progress if um, if you want. A rough trade challenge or not, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just about Harry Potter, and uh, you're supposed to post all your old content on the first day, and then you can start writing new content for the challenge. Um, but yeah, that was in April of 2013, so that was our third year. Yeah, and so I I thought because um, I think I've been getting I got was getting site emails and I, if you were doing original fiction in the summer I probably like completely ignored any of that because um, I was in a very fandom headspace at that time and um, but I kind of was pondering the idea of of starting writing fan fiction again and then November came around and I was sort of like him hawing and the fact I said okay I'll sign up and um, think about the details later because I can get really wrapped around the actual details like if I can't sort everything out in my head I don't like move forward um so I just went ahead and signed up and um and then there was this thing about um art you have to do art I was like what what she has to do what now (laughs) I didn't know that before I was like what about how am I going to picture I was so I was so freaked out about the picture I almost went through for the You don't have to do art. You just, you know, you can take a picture of your main character as long as it fits the dimensions. You're good. Well, and I mean, there's a whole I was, collection I was of being... people who will do art for you. Now that's now this is true. There are people who will do your art for you. You put whatever you want up. But I had this like in my head then. I was like, oh my god, I got to do what the other people are doing. And I am terrible with Photoshop. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I started doing and learning Photoshop is because I felt so stumped. <laughs> Having to put together that terrible piece of artwork for emergence, I was like, I gotta, I gotta do better than this. Um, yeah, that first art, that first rough trade was really, um, it was really, it was kind of a, a revelation in a way. It was super uncomfortable because I had been out of writing fan fiction for 
at least a decade at that point. You're welcome, fandom. You are welcome. <laughs> you blame Kira. Credit not blame. Um, credit. I'll take that credit. Thank you. <clears throat> so I I was super nervous about starting posting and um and I thought people were gonna think I was a lunatic and I didn't I didn't know about what the commenting policy really was. Um so I started posting and I thought people are gonna hate this, they're gonna think I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> and um I don't know, there was something about um it wasn't it was it was interesting because I had never posted really posted a whip before, which is what this was like my first real experience with that. Um I I, well, I may have tried it once or twice in the X Files stuff where I posted something as it, I was working on it and didn't like the experience of it. So I abandoned that kind of process pretty early on. But it was really different posting online versus publishing posting to, you know, when I was posting fan fiction, I was posting it to um, Yahoo groups. So the audience was really limited, and. I knew exactly, you know, in a group who it was going to, and getting it on a website on an archive sometimes was, you know, weeks in the queue to get your story added to um, an archive because archivists had to do it. It actually that's why they, you know, they, they had the name archivists because they had to do all the work. There were no, you know, there weren't a lot of automated archives back then when I first started writing in Exile. So posting something straight to the internet, like where anybody could see it. I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy. I can't do this. Um, these people are going to think I'm a lunatic. Or, uh, and I was just really, the whole experience of it was really different. And it was like being naked. It was like writing naked. So the whole story about, you know, the whole history of why it was called Naked Nano, I was like, yeah, this is, this is showing my ass to the entire world, and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. Um, well, your discomfort I, didn't show at all, I have to say. <laughs> um she boomed into my challenge, and I was like, my traffic, the, the traffic on Rough Trade doubled. From from day one to day four or day five, it doubled. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What, I, am I going to be able to handle this traffic load? What the fuck? What the fuck? And I started looking around, who is this? What is this? And I, it was your story, and I was like, I look her up. She's nowhere. I saw it I'd come up with some hate to use the term, some big name fan had rolled into my challenge and I didn't realize it. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> but no, I mean, I would say she definitely is one now in NCIS, but uh, not, not at the time. She didn't have anything anywhere. And I was like, who is this person? <laughs> She's all up in my challenge. Um, but also on the other side of it, as a writer, she really inspired me and really pushed me um, to produce. And that's when I was writing The Unspeakable Plot, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, I was like, I got to keep up with this person. And so it was like, I got to keep up. Did she post already? I have to go post. <laughs> it was it was very, I mean, not challenging in a bad way, but very um, encouraging to to have someone of her um, who could po- who was writing at the same uh, quantity that I that I was because there was really nobody else on Rough Trade at the time who was competing for me when it came to um, 
what they could put out, what kind of word count they could churn out on on a daily on, on a day to day basis. And so having somebody on there to bounce myself off of was really challenging, and I really enjoyed that challenge more than I had anticipated. So that was like. Yeah, it was fun because I had this, I kind of had some perceptions in my head about what I was supposed to be doing. And please hear me making little quote marks around supposed to. Um, but I had it in my head. I've got to post every day. Um, um, I've got to, you know, and for some reason I got in my head, I had to write a whole chapter every day. So I was like, and I, you know, chap, my chapters average 5,000 words. Um, I kind of settled down a little bit later in the month. Um, but I just, I just like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop thinking about this, and I'm gonna stop, you know, overanalyzing it. I'm just gonna throw myself into it, and I'm gonna do it, and um, see what happens. And so I just really focused on getting the writing done. And uh, so I was writing on average, I think I averaged five thousand words a day that month. Um, just about. So yeah. we did, we did a hundred, we did about a hundred fifty thousand by the end of November, and then um, I did. did another like- thirty-five thousand. Um, in December. Then I passed out, so. and she still wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but I'm not done. <laughs> so I just can't go on. But then, you know, the holidays come around and get really busy. It took yeah, me, we, yeah, it took me a few we months to finish. 150, 130, 150 something in a month because she was so challenging to me. And I was like, <sighs> she posted. She had to slow down. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was like, fuck it. I'm in. <laughs> But no, it's something about, I don't know, it was just, it was, it was, it was a ton of fun. And when it, when the, when the month ended, I just kind of went, oh, what did I just do? Because I've just, I mean, I've done a lot of different kinds of writing experiments. I've done, um, I co-wrote with somebody once where we co-wrote everything in in a chat, in chat. So we were doing instant messages to write this book because we didn't really have any kind of file sharing set up at that time. And, um, you know, I, I I literally, I'd write a sentence and then she would write a sentence or um, she would write a paragraph and then I'd write a paragraph. And we would go back and forth and chat um, while I was working. <laughs> so I was, you know, I'd, I I would spend, you know, probably – you know, easily get two or three or four hours of writing done while I was at work for 10 or 12 hours, going back and forth to this chat and going, you know, writing with her in chat. And then we would get together sometimes and write together together where we had two chairs in front of the desk and we would just switch places in front of the keyboard. Um, And I've done writing. I wrote a story once with um, three people where we did kind of a, chance anytime we had to make a decision on the story we let chance decide which direction it was going to go so that was an interesting experience but I so I tried a lot of different kinds of writing experiments in my life in terms of creative writing and um I but I had never um done anything like like to me it was a completely new and kind of a much more um outside I would say outside of showing my creative fiction, my creative writing to somebody for the very first time, outside of that experience, my first rough rough trade was the most exposed I ever felt. Um, And actually the only thing that was more was the first time I let somebody see my creative writing felt more exposing 
other than that, that first rough trade. And I think it was something, it was a combination of, um, of doing it, it felt like doing it live. It was like writing on a stage. Um, but it was also, you weren't on a stage alone. And I think that was the exhilarating part is you had all of these other writers. I had all of these writers, you know, there were, I don't know how many there were in that challenge, but it felt, you know, there's probably 30 people who are doing this with me. Um, that was November, 2013. November. There were 30, yeah. there were 36 of us. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I was thinking that, and it felt like it was about 30 people. And I thought we were in it together. And we were, um, I didn't even know what the Facebook group at that point, but it felt like we were, and it was like my connection to this writing, this kind of creative well, was in logging into Rough Trade every day and seeing what other people had posted and what they were doing and how their creative process worked and then posting my own stuff. And it was just so... For all that it was made, it was nerve-wracking and it made me feel exposed, it was exhilarating and I just loved it. I loved it. I loved that creative, it was like creative lightning. It was like being in an electrical storm. And I was like, I want to do this again. <laughs> I want to do this again. I do need, I do see why we need breaks though. Um, and then I got hooked in more with the, the bigger community. It was actually after the next challenge that I got hooked in the kind of the Facebook group and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was in May of 2014 is kind of when I got hooked into the bigger group and got, you know, talking to people on Facebook and, you know, having some new buddies to sound ideas out with and stuff. So that was, um, I think it was like, it was unlike anything creative that I had ever done in my life. And I really would recommend it to people. You know, I talked to people online. I said, oh, yeah, you should definitely do this. Um, and I did Nano. Um, I, I signed. I signed up for Nano every year after that. The actual on Nano site, and I went to a couple of. I wanted to try see what that was like, you know, in person. Um, and I went to write-ins with Nano a couple of times. Um, and one time it was a little too social. Like, I mean, I don't mind a somewhat social aspect, but I wanted to uh, write, not yap. And there was also this kind of this element that people were a little bit judgy about the fan fiction thing. So that was a little bit off-putting. But another one I did, I picked a different one to go to, because the area where I was in, there was a lot of people, and they would have almost any day there was a ride-in. On almost any day of the week, there was a ride-in within 15 miles of me. And um, the second one was better. Uh, you know, if people, most people stopped and they would talk periodically or they'd send out ideas with each other, but people were there to write. And that was kind of the same vibe, uh, but oddly, I found the whole online experience and the online group, and and um, actually, there's something about, because, you know, when you're sitting there doing the write-in at Nano, um, you have people doing the thing with you, and that was great, that kind of whole sort of, it's sort of like energy building. It kind of creates this, you know, energy feedback where you just want to keep going. You know, it's like your ass is numb and your back is killing you and your hands are starting to cramp, but you just want to keep going because you're all doing this thing together. Uh, but there's something about showing the work as you go that kind of would, for me, revs it up a little bit more, which makes the kind of the online experience um, 
a little bit more um, energizing for me. But if you ever have the opportunity while you're doing rough trade to go do a couple of write-ins with people, I really highly recommend that experience of being in a group of people at a restaurant or coffee shop and you're all just going to town for six hours. I mean, it's really a really interesting experience. So... What I would say about write-ins, and I've I've done them, I've hosted them, um, and um, I used to be very involved in my local nano group, but um, I lost interest due to a an individual in the group who. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> I was like, I can really talk to you twat waffles, like in there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, really got on my damn nerves. Um, <coughs> And fan fiction. Other writers and fan fiction. <coughs> Whenever you encounter someone who dogs you about writing fan fiction, please remind them that both Cassandra Clare and E.L. James, both of whom have made money hand over fist, started out in fandom, and then give them the finger. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, um, last time I went to an Anna group, I was actually writing fan fiction. I think this was the year we wrote the Up Close and Personal Challenge. That's 2014. Um, I went. And um, <clears throat> I'm known in my area as, as a pro writer. And um, I was sitting there and they were talking, we were talking about different projects. And I was actually working on my project. I was still listening to them talk. And they got my attention and asked me what I was writing. I said, oh, this year I'm going to write some fan fiction. And they all went, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to write some fan fiction this year. And um, there were several other people in the group who wrote fan fiction. Um, and one of the um, the men in the group asked, he said, why the hell would you do that when you're already published professionally? I was like, let me lay it out for you. In fandom, I can do anything I want. I can take my characters on a 300,000-word adventure if I want to, and there isn't a single damn person that's going to read my story and tell me, damn, that's too long. I can't publish that because they don't get a choice about whether or not I publish it. I'm going to stick that shit online and be happy with it, and it can be as big and as ridiculous and as pornographic as I want it to be. And I answer to no one about it. Zero. I said, and more people will read my fan fiction story than will have ever read my pro book. That's the truth. You might get, I mean, I'm mid-list, so 30 or 40,000 copies of my book get sold. Okay, that means 30 or 40,000 people read my book, right? I average between eight and 10,000 individual people a day on my site. Wow. Do you get the difference? Yeah. And I told him that, and he was like, his mouth dropped open. And he was like, are you, I said, so you have to ask yourself, are you in it for the money? Because you never, you know, that's just not, that's not what that is. And um, I said, but, but more importantly, every once in a while, I just want to write something for me that I enjoy, that I have fun with, and that I have to answer to no one about. I don't have to answer to my agent. I don't have to stay in a word count. It's just about me and my work and my craft. I can have as many vanity scenes as I want. (laughs) 
And I don't have to explain it to anybody. And he was like, so what fan fiction are you writing? (laughs) (laughs) And I told him, and he was like, okay, so it was really interesting. Two years later, I went back to that same group, and we're getting ready to, um, to talk about our projects. And he sat down beside me, and he said, I'm going to write some Star Trek this year. <laughs> You're welcome, fandom. <laughs> um, but more interestingly enough, he did write um, some Star Trek, uh, but he's also published professionally in Star Trek. Because Star nice. Trek books are written by fans. Yeah, they are. If you don't, if you don't like, if you don't like Star Trek and Star Wars, why would you be trying to sign on to write those books? So yeah, they're not. I mean, they're normally wrote on wrote on spec, uh, and uh, so. But yeah, he was really funny, and he he did eventually publish a a Star Trek book or a novella. I think he was part of a novella anthology. Oh, so you open. Anyway. You- you opened up his mind, and he got a, he got something professional out of it because he went and did some fan fiction. But yeah, so I I don't let anybody give me grief for writing fan fiction. Um, nobody. I don't let anybody tell me um, that I'm wasting my time. You know, why would you do that? Why won't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? I'm going to tell you something that's kind of ugly. I'm going to say it anyway. If you write to make for the sole purpose of making money, I find you deeply offensive. If you go into any single project and think, I need to make money off of this as your first priority, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Just fuck you. Because that's not... Yes, making money is awesome and great. I have signed plenty of contracts like a hell yeah, send me that check. But that wasn't the start. That isn't where I started. It will never be where I start. <coughs> I write because start I, love with it. Story. I love the word. I start with the story. And if it's sellable, it's sellable. If it's not, I have plenty of ideas and I think to myself, okay, um, is this idea something that I can sell? If it is, it goes over here. If this is an idea that I can't sell, it's not, there's no market for it. It goes over here, and I'm still going to write that shit because it's for me. You pay your bills over there, and you have your fun over here. <laughs> but I never throw away an idea away just because I think it won't make me any money. If I did, I wouldn't have any fan fiction online, obviously. Because <clears throat> it can't be about money. I think if you go in it for money think- and you don't make any money, it's demoralizing and you'll stop writing. Yeah. And some people, some people, you know, they get their book published and it doesn't sell very well and they don't care because it's just like this. They, they did the thing and they did the thing they wanted to do. They told the story they wanted to tell and somebody liked it enough to, to publish it. And I mean, that's got to be incredibly gratifying. And if it doesn't sell well, there's all kinds of factors into why something doesn't sell well. It doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the writing because we know there's stuff that has really crappy quality writing that sells well. So, Hand over fist. 
Yeah. yeah. How how well something sells and the quality of the craft are not don't necessarily go hand in hand. So you're you're going to be a lot happier in your writing life if you just write for yourself. And if you write something that is then marketable, then yay. Dark says somewhere in the multiverse there is a world where Kira never posted her fan fiction. Now, if, if there is a world where I never posted fan fiction, it's because I was never a writer to begin with. <laughs> I'll say, I'll thinking, I go, I mean, there's no internet. <laughs> <laughs> there's no internet. They're still in the Stone Ages. She's hammering on a, she's hammering on a rock. Okay, she's doing the best she can. Kira's in jail for killing one of those twat waffles, and she's writing her fan fiction on the walls. I mean, there's other, <laughs> other there's possibilities. <laughs> but you know, I mean, because the thing is, it all it all boils down to the fact that either you're a writer or you're not. And if you're a writer, um, the word means more to you than any dollar ever will. You know, even if I sold, even if I had Nora Roberts numbers, I still write fan fiction. If my next professional project is a New York bestseller, I will still be over here writing some McKay Shepard. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the way that is. That's just the way that is. Do what you want. Because it isn't about the money, and it never has been. Money's nice. I'm not going to say it's not. And I'm not going to say that somebody who has a New York bestseller is a sellout, because they're not. But if every single word they put to paper, the sole goal is to make money with it, I think they're an asshole. There are some writers like that, that it's obvious that that is a couple. There's like one I'm specifically thinking of. Um, that it's so blatant because he cranks out these stories sometimes so fast, like an event will happen in the world and he's got this weird porn thing, you know, 24 hours later on Amazon. It's directly related to this weird thing in the world. But it's so blatant and so cracky what he does. It just cracks me up. It just, it, I find it hysterical. Um, but yeah, but yeah, in general, you know, I think people who just write to make money, they don't last long in the industry anyway. Although they must be a dream for an editor because the editor is going, well, this book is going to be better if you do all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm not emotionally attached okay. to it. <laughs> you know, one of the things, there's this funny thing in terms of, because like you mentioned, I think you mentioned like the good and the bad of rough trade. And like, the pros and the cons. Um, there's this funny thing. It's like one of the biggest pros, one of the biggest pros and the biggest cons are the same exact thing. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Mm. <laughs> Which is the audience. Um, it is It is one of the the, 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 the people there reading and the feedback. It, it's, it, it, I would say mostly, I mean, Kira works really hard to keep, you know, inappropriate comments from getting through. Um, but there is this thing where literally, unless the unless the um, any of the moderators are reading every story, um, there's no telling if a, if a, some comments, you know, where they're complimenting you on something, it sounds like a complimentary thing. 
they don't know that, that comment may be way off base. So um, and I didn't discover that, that negative for a couple of years, you know, because I, um, but, you know, Kira was already moderating comments by the time I started writing. Um, I, well, know, I moderated I, halfway I through the first challenge. Like, fuck this. Well, I knew it was coming already because I had been in fandom since 2008. And my first challenge, um, Naked Nano, was in 2011, uh, November of 2011. And so I went into it thinking I was going to have to moderate comments. And, um, but I gave it a little wiggle room, and people who had already had an approved comment could comment without moderation. That lasted about, I don't know five days, maybe six, before it went full mod, because I, no, (laughs) it was obvious then that I couldn't even trust people who had already posted one good comment, so it was full moderation from that that point forward, Um, because people are, um, for the most part, with Rough Trade, it isn't, um, we don't get this sucks, I hate you, I can't believe you're writing this shit comments, we get intrusive, I want you to do this comments. Or people who, you know, apparently lose their mind and think that this is the right time to correct somebody about facts, or, oh, this is great, but your facts are wrong, this is the way it should be, or um, you did poor research, you know, or whatever. Uh, it's like not the time. I think that I think that people, you know, people who are used to offering their opinion, and I guess expecting people to be grateful for their corrections, um, on other sites don't understand the nature of the rough draft. Posting your rough draft, knowing you've got typos galore in there, and, and that you may even have some fill this detail in later things in parentheses or. Um, you know, or that you you know, put a plot hole in that you didn't realize for two chapters. People who who don't um, who are, are looking at stuff because you conceivably, um, not always, but conceivably, somebody who's even posting a, a whip on another site is at least rereading that and getting it baited and finalizing it in some fashion before they put it up. I mean, not always, but most people they don't just like you know, stop writing and five minutes later it's online. It doesn't, you know, this is a very unique thing about rough trade. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a harrowing thing about it is that you don't, I don't go back and reread it for the most part. Every once in a while when I'm having a problem with the plot point, I do go back and reread some stuff. But usually I stop writing. I, you know, copy it into, you know, I copy it and I paste it into the public, into the author dashboard and that's it. I, I, Sometimes I don't reread it for a couple of days. So it's kind of a bizarre, um, it's a very different thing. when you The people don't seem to get the rough draft thing, even though you explain the rough draft thing repeatedly. And so, the, you and know, it that kind of stuff out. Yeah. And nobody needs to know that they made a typo. We we know that there's typos. You know. We get it. We get it. Um, but I think it was... Um, I I, I got uh, I was at least a couple of years into doing rough trade before I got the writing on a project that people were really misinterpreting what I was doing, and they were complimenting me on stuff that was like so off 
of what my intention was, that it really threw me. Um, and it wasn't. It was a good experience, I think, for me to have overall. But there was. I spent a lot of time that that month, um, kind of behind the scenes, talking to people, going, "Was my was what I did really that kind of obtuse? Was it really that hard to understand?" Um, and people were going to reassure me, going, "No, it really wasn't difficult to understand. Um, it was okay. I, I don't know why people misunderstand. Maybe they're reading too fast or whatever." Uh, but it it really kind of um, it threw me. It threw me, and uh, I could see how that. Um, and then there was another challenge. I think it was a challenge after that where people were guessing my plot points, and I was mm-hmm. kind of grinding my teeth because when they guess correctly, <sighs> made me want to change my plot. <laughs> yeah, well, here's, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> if you can change a minor detail. I will. Um, because he puts you in a catch-22 type position. Um, I'm not going to go reply to somebody and say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Because it, you, you look, it, it, it's a damn if you do, damn if you don't kind of thing. But I've repeatedly had people claim credit for, oh, you used my idea. No, I didn't. Shut up. Um, and so that can really kind of just be kind of like, you know, and I don't want to go, there, there have been times when, like, I cannot, somebody guess something, and it, it's so integral to the plot that I would have to, you know, it would it, be like ripping my story up and starting over to take a plot point out. Um, and so it's like, I'm just going to go forward with it. And if they claim credit, which they need to not, I'm just going to, you know, find some wet spaghetti and beat them to death with it. Because it's just super frustrating when you feel kind of hemmed in and then, you you know, you've got readers claiming credit for um, your plot, which was set, you know, 20 days ago. So on the, I mean, on the one hand, it's like this incredible positive having that interaction with the readers and they're they're reacting to this thing very organically that you're creating, you know, almost live, like you're on stage doing this and they're going, yay, that was great. And then sometimes they're going, oh, and I'll bet you he's going to wind it together with this guy in two chapters. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't spoil the plot. That's the reason why I don't like posting a work in progress normally is because um, people guessing my plot. The only time I tolerated it on my site is when people were trying to figure out who was the Jack clone and and what might have been. And I edited out their guesses and put little stars so they wouldn't spoil it for anybody else. Mm. That's the only time I ever tolerated that because honestly, he wasn't supposed to be a secret. I just cut a scene out of one of the earlier novellas that revealed him. He wasn't supposed to be a secret the whole series of what might have been, but he, but he turned out to be one. In fact, he's not revealed officially until the first novella of Ring of Fire, but it was actually an accident. It was an editorial accident, and then I just went with it because <clears throat> it amused <laughs> me to watch you guys guessing. It was 50-50 on um, people getting it right. I did I did make a, a, a threat of making a shame page and listing people who um violate the rules on rough trade. Um but um there's honestly in the past couple of years there hasn't been anybody who actually deserved to be publicly shamed. And that's the thing about rough trade readers, um, is that they're not 
when you look at their feedback, you can tell they're not rolling into this comment section to fuck up a writer. They're not trying to be an asshole. They're not trying to to ruin your your rhythm or fuck you up or troll you. Um, they're just trying to participate. You know, and it's not not times out of ten. It's not even ugly. It's just I mean, every once in a while we'll get a commenter who is unhappy with a pairing or something like that. But that's super rare too on Rough Trade. And maybe it's because I got a reputation in fandom for being a complete bitch. I don't know. Well, they, they 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 discover that they're putting effort into putting those comments through, and, and those comments aren't getting approved, and they um, just kind of give up. I think when we do get the stray asshole, um, we do have, we did have or did have. I don't know that they're still kind of around. We did have one person who was very passive aggressive, like trying to sneak criticism in um, by making it sound like a compliment, uh, something like. Oh wow! I just totally did not expect, um, you know, Jack to be doing this, and the really obvious choices for Jack to be doing that. But you know, kudos on going the unconventional route, and it's like <laughs> kind of head tilt and go, huh. delete. <laughs> yeah, Crash. delete. Um, and and they they were kind of pretty good, pretty masterful at structuring criticisms as compliments, but it would be like. Delete, 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 delete. I think we had one challenge. We like to hold the trash bin with nothing but comments from this one person. Um, Eventually, yeah, I put them a, on the blacklist. And the blacklist means that any time you comment, your comment is automatically trashed. Yeah, so then we have this refresh moment. Like, hey, they actually posted something that seems straightforwardly positive. Um and we would pull, you know, pull, then pull it out because it was less work to pull the one or two good ones out of the trash <laughs> than the thirty or forty yeah. bad ones into the trash. But he or she um, learned you know, through attrition. Yeah. <laughs> so they made forty comments do, and one got approved. Yeah, people do learn, you know, and they they adapt. They figure out that something went awry or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I mean, most of the readers are really great people. Most people know how to be encouraging without uh, throwing the writers off their game. Uh, but there is, like I said, there, there is sometimes like that one thing where you're kind of doing something that's a little bit, you know, especially if you're doing something that's kind of a little bit outside of the norm, where you're kind of throwing people off and they aren't quite sure what you're doing. And so they're complimenting you on um, something, which is that thing I, thing I had. I think it was subversive that I was working on where I was just kind of going, what, 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 why, why are people complimenting me on this thing? That wasn't it. Um, but I had actually, um, because my first, the original sign up for rough trade was, um, and this is a, this is a negative, so I kind of switched over to cons here. So audience, huge positive can sometimes be a big negative. It's not usually a big negative, but it can be if you're kind of feeling misinterpreted. And it was a big one for me on that one. Um, but there was um, – in the original schedule when I signed up, you had still listed um, July initially on that schedule. Right. Was still yeah. planning to be original fiction. And then you changed it that next July to be boot camp, and it was two short stories, I think. I don't remember what the first boot camp was that I participated in. But 
I had thought about, you know, do I want to protect? Because I had so enjoyed my first two experiences with Rough Trade that if she had stuck with original fiction for being July, I was really debating about do I, I really, do I, because I really wanted the experience of doing the challenge more than I wanted to write original fiction. So I had been like noodling on original fiction ideas before she switched it. And I am so glad that that did not wind up being an original fiction challenge because I have to say, I think one of the most negative in a learning experience kind of thing um, about the whole thing was seeing the way people who only read Kira's story fall for you. The only place they could have read it was on Rough Trade. Um, it's seen some of the comments people made about Rough Trade and about, you know, there should be more. This is basically what I read on Rough Trade. And, you know, I got this for free. Why did I have to pay money for it? Those comments so um, I found so alienating um, and inappropriate. Uh, on, on Amazon. Work, on, on my Amazon. On Amazon. Yeah, on her Amazon reviews, you know, messing with her reviews on her on her book. Um, this is this is where she makes money now, right? Where she takes this thing that she was working on in in challenge and finished it and sold it, and people are fucking with it. And I, from that first the first time, and it's happened repeatedly in her Amazon reviews. The first time somebody mentioned rough trade. Um, in fan fiction, I read this for free in a comment um, on her Amazon reviews. I swore right then that I would never write original fiction in an online challenge, ever. I never will again. Um, oh, was, thank you, Rogue. I, I appreciate I, I, that. I will never do it again. It, it was just, I, I don't blame you. It was so off-putting. But you know what's uh, more stunning so for me, actually, because I kind of anticipated that happening. I was prepared for that. What I was not prepared for was people to offer me reviews on Amazon and point out my flaws that I pointed out myself on my podcast. Because there was someone who actually <laughs> yeah. brought up um, um, how short my action scene was. Um, and I have said specifically on my podcast more than once that I have a hard time writing action. So I wanted to respond and thank her for listening to my podcast, but I didn't. But the most <laughs> offensive review I got, the most offensive review I got on that book, and then I stopped looking at the reviews altogether, was um, a review from somebody who was mad that Marcus wasn't the one who who Marcus didn't play hero. Riley saved himself, basically. Riley wasn't a damsel in distress. And I wanted to respond and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you trying to shove heteronormative romance cliches on my gay romance? But I didn't. I just walked away. Because I'm like, why the fuck would I... And you know what, though? If Riley had been a woman, I would have still wrote it the same way. Riley didn't need to be rescued. I'm just saying, I would I mean, not have written it any is, differently if it, if it had been a male-female romance. No, because I don't believe in that fucking save the day shit. Yeah, well, that tells you who they had cast in the role of the woman in their head. Right. But for me, I, the comment that I found the most offensive was the comment about, you know, this is there's barely more here than what I read on Rough Trade for free. Why did I have to pay for this? I'm like, whoa, dude. <laughs> You just crossed the line. 
<laughs> Actually, you just kind of you kind of catapulted yourself over the line. What the fuck? So to me, that was like um, it wasn't really a negative of Rough Trade because Kira stopped doing original fiction challenges only by the time I was participating in it. And she now, you know, tells people they can do original fiction in most challenges. Some challenges are fandom only, like this one in April. Uh, but she, you know, I advises people, you know, behind the scenes that it's probably not a good idea if you want to sell this to put it on Rough Trade. Um, but, yeah, it was just, I was, like, so thrown by that that it, it changed my perception about what I was willing to do on Rough Trade. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of a negative that came out of Rough Trade, even though it was in context of something else entirely. Um, yeah, there, November will always be a theme challenge, but it will be open to fandom and original fiction. I don't want to limit anybody that way during Nano, um, whether it's you know the Nano thing, you know, writing original fiction. But um, no, I will never encourage anybody to write original fiction on Rough Trade again, ever. Unless I do a completely closed challenge and only people who are participating can read. And if I was going to do that, I'd probably do it on Wild Hair, actually. It, it wouldn't be something that I would do on um, Rough Trade. And yeah. I have considered doing a workshop on Rough Trade um, where uh, <laughs> where I offer like alpha read feedback on, um, on specific works during a challenge, perhaps in our private forum. Um, but that would be something that I would not put out to public. It would not be a public situation. <clears throat> yeah. That would be interesting, actually. There's another thing that I kind of came up with. Oh, the quirky thing that came up, I was surprised being a negative. Um, I like it, – it's, it's the flip side of a coin, right? I like that Rough Trade with themes and stuff – I haven't there, I haven't run across a challenge or a theme that I didn't feel like I could sign up for so far, but mentally I'm sort of prepared, you know, that if there's a challenge or a theme that doesn't interest me, um, that I'm not gonna, you know, I would I I don't want to force myself to write something that I'm not enjoying when I have a ton of stuff I could be working on that I do enjoy, so I kind of like mentally have this thing of like if I'm at the point of where I'm forcing myself to write something I'm not liking to satisfy a theme or, or, or a fandom or whatever, that I would just rather not sign up and just write on my own. And which is a fine thing because not every theme is going to appeal to everyone. But I do like that the themes and the challenges and stuff do push me and they push me to try different skills, whether they're short stories or doing original world building or whatever the theme is. I like that I get pushed. The downside to that. Um, if Kira usually structures challenges where there's kind of like, um, especially the theme challenges, where there's kind of like a, you know, you could do this little or you could take it to the nth degree and really challenge yourself. And I tend to push myself to the edge. Um, so like when we did the whole whole new world thing, it's sort of like the, the inner, the easier side of that would be to put your characters into, um, at least for me, would be to put, put your characters into another fandom. Um, and to me, the hardest challenge of the two options would be to create a whole new world for my characters. And so I decided to do the harder thing because I tend to just, if I'm going to try a craft challenge, I'm going to try the harder thing. And I regretted it. I regretted it immensely. 
um, here's why. And it's now come up twice that I have regretted my, cha- my, my decision, is when I go and I take fan fiction characters and twice now that I've done a world that's got a lot of work in it, a lot of world building, um, a storyline that I really like, and I've now done it for fan fiction, and then I've regretted that I did it for fan fiction. And um, it actually threw me off really badly in, um, in last year in November. I mean, I was just coming off of a move. I moved from California to Oregon on November 6th. Um, so I was writing on the road. I mean, I was writing in a notebook on the road so that I could get to Oregon and post because uh, I really wanted to participate in that challenge. And um, I had done some plotting for that challenge on a podcast. And I had two ideas and because and Kira knows that I'm working on original fiction and I started, I think I've started four different original fiction works now that I'm trying to kind of see, I'm not sure which one's going to pop first. Um, but she knew I was interested in writing original fiction. And the first two ideas I had for um, the Urban Fantasy Challenge were, I was like, no, I should write that for original fiction. Um, and so uh, the idea that I did, Descendant, uh, for November, was a throwaway idea. It was an idea I wasn't even very invested in until I started writing it. And the more I wrote it, the more invested in it I got, and the more I was really irritated that I'd written it for fan fiction um, because I really, really liked it. And it just kind of threw me. Um, and so that wound up being a funny little negative. It's like the further I'd go on the world-building um, stuff, that when I put that into the, you know, really advanced, really um, complex world building and put it into fan fiction, because I'm trying to, you know, I want to try stretching myself with original fiction, I find that I'm kind of resenting that decision sometimes, which is a little stupid to resent yourself, but um, there you have it. Are you eating your sandwich? It's not really, and that's not really a negative thing. It's just one of those things I think that I have to be mindful of um, going into. Um, yeah, it, it was something I was surprised at. Um, that, especially, uh, and not subversive, not so much as descendant. Um, subversive. I wish I kind of wish I had done because that one is really is a whole new world. I mean, all I could do, I could go and do with that novel right now, I could go and do name changes and there'd be no resemblance to anything fan fiction at all because it was, you know, a whole new world. That was the point of the challenge. And I did create an original world and put fandom characters in it. So that novel, and, and oddly it didn't bother me as much with that, but with Descendant, I don't know why that idea really took over my brain and I almost didn't want to keep putting fan fiction into that world building. And it just kind of, I don't know. It's like, I probably should have talked it out with somebody at the time, but it's just kind of all like fizzled in my brain. of like, I don't know that I want to, you know, I think, you know, I think at that point in November, I'd had two or three ideas that I was working on that I didn't feel like were working out. And I had this fan fiction idea that was working out really, really well and it 
through me that um, I felt like I could kind of sabotage myself. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just something I wasn't expecting. So that was, you know, that's something I would maybe caution people about who are looking at writing original work is if, you know, if you're doing really in-depth, complex world building, um, is, you know, if it's something that you think would stand up to being an original novel, is if, do you want to put, um, do you want to write that as fan fiction? Because um, I've done really complex world building and written it as fan fiction and been, perfectly fine with it but I think it was just the timing of everything and how everything kind of coalesced in November with what my goals and my ambitions were and the other things I was working on that an idea I thought was kind of a throwaway to work on for Nano wound up being um, not a throwaway it's something I wish that I had not written for fan fiction Mark says it must be that time in the podcast again I'm like which time I'm not sure which time we're talking about. I do think Kira's eating her sandwich. I'm jealous of her snack. I have muted myself. I've been talking to you. <laughs> have you? I had muted and I myself eating my sandwich, and then I was like, wait. And then I was still muted. I did the same thing to you that you did to me the other night. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is that your regret, I have the same one. I have the same regret. I regret deeply writing synthetic for fan, for fan fiction. Um, I regret it so much that I have plotted a different story for synthetic using the world building as original fiction. Because while I don't want to use the same story that I wrote for fan fiction, I can't let go of that world building. So I have written a, um, I have plotted three novellas with original characters set in that world. Mm. Wow. Because I can't let go. I can't let go of it. I, it's... It's weird, and I wasn't expecting that because, like I said, the Descendant was my was my throat, the the medium thing. I wasn't even interested in it conceptually when I, I mean, I was. It was interested in it enough to think I could write it for Nano, um, but it was it was my it was probably my fourth or fifth idea that I had entertained, and it was the one that I thought was almost the least promising. And I plotted two other ideas completely that I said no way am I going to use this for fan fiction. And then I did started working on Descendant, and I was like, holy crap, I'm really digging this. Why right? did I do this? Why did I make this choice? I and fell in love with, writing... with, with Synthetic, and it, it really hurt my feelings. Yeah, it does. I started kind of resenting my own story, which was not in no way Conducive productive. to writing it? No, really, it isn't. You can't resent what you're writing and write it. So... Um, yeah. I am profoundly so that, that opposed to cleansing fan fiction and selling it. Um, I'm very opposed to it. But when it comes to an AU where you've, you've fallen in love with your world building, I'm like, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? And I, there's no way I would cleanse what I've already written of synthetic and put it out as original. But there's no reason why I can't take my world and go elsewhere with it. 
and do something else with it because it's mine. I, it, it belongs to me. So I can do anything I want to with the synthetic world building that I want to, but I can't take the original plot with me. Yeah, I think you can do I, anything I thought, you want with Descendants world building. You just can't take your original plot. Well, you could. You totally could. It wouldn't be illegal because by the time you clean that out, it wouldn't even look like NCIS fan fiction anyway. It would be entirely up to you. Just for me personally, I can't do it. Well, I think that what I could do, um, like the piece, I couldn't cleanse what has already been published. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, but what I could do is the part because like nobody knows where that story was going but me. Um, and so the part that was never written, which was the critical part of the plot, is the stuff that nobody's seen. That could all, you know, use a different setup and use. I couldn't use all of it, but I could use probably. I probably leverage. I couldn't exactly use it the way it is, but I could do a different beginning and leverage about sixty percent of the plotting for the rest of the mm-hmm. story. Um, because the idea that I fell in love with was where that story was going, um, and the big what the big confrontation and the climax of the story would be. So I, you know, I think that because that was never written and that nobody ever saw it, um, that I could, you know, write a different setup and you know leverage big pieces of that into a different, at least the concepts into a different plot. So it'd still be a different story because I have to go a different path to get there. Um, but yeah, and I don't know if I would do that or not, but it was, it's just, yeah, it was, it was an unexpected consequence for me as I pushed myself more in the world building, um, to find that I regretted taking something that I really, really enjoyed and really loved in a world building aspect. And I felt like I had made it, um, it's weird. I guess it's going to sound like a it may sound like a terrible thing to say, but I thought like I'd given it away. You did give it away. Yeah. The terrible thing is, is that maybe that I'm making that sound like it's a bad thing because I mean, really with fan fiction, what we do, we give it away. We don't have a choice. Um, but some ideas, I'm I'm a little bit more. I've, I've discovered I'm a little bit more um, resentful about giving away than others. Most of the ideas, well, I had like, two yeah, ideas. Give it away. Yeah, hey, have fun with it. I had two ideas for that November, and I picked the one um, that fascinated me the most, and that was a mistake. And um, because that's the one that, again, it was like. I feel like I wasted something, and I don't even know what I thought like I wasted. I, I feel like it. I feel like because I put fandom characters in it that I destroyed some of the potential. Does that make any sense? No, I understand. I understand what you mean. Because there was yeah. so much that was new and so much that was original and so much that was, and I put these fandom characters in it, and it was like, it's like it's like I cheated my world building out of the cast it deserved. Yeah, you limited yourself by canon constraints in that in that regard. Now, my other story was about John um, working for NASA. John was an um, astronaut, and he um, is on a mission uh, to Venus, and the mission is sabotage. And McKay uh, works for the European um, space, it's a, you know, different, uh, an AU, obviously, and he has a space station, and he is, space, he is stationed between Earth and Venus. And when the mission gets sabotaged, 
NASA announces to the world that John's dead, that the whole mission was lost, because they had no intention of letting him come back to reveal that the mission was purposefully sabotaged. They marked it down as an accident. Well, McKay is watching this, and he sees John being directed in a way that's going to get him killed, um, and he interferes and pretty much catches himself an astronaut. And I thought that would be really fun to write, but then I thought synthetic would be more fun to write, and then I wrote synthetic, and I re- and I regretted my life choices. Yeah, I I would never like somebody asked if like I would would um with this outcome would I avoid future challenges of that type? Um, usually like I said, here is some some of the some of the some of the push in some of these challenges. I took it to the nth degree. I didn't have to make subversive as as original as I did. I could have put the characters in Stargate. I mean, that would have satisfied the challenge just fine. Um, so, yes, in that kind of context, I would probably be more careful um, about what I was doing and what I decided to write. But on the other hand, um, if I'm really into a fan fiction story and I'm really enjoying writing it, I'm not going to, like, shortchange the story that I'm writing. Um for the, for the most part, to to withhold ideas. Um, because the ideas are still mine. It's just kind of like, you know, how, they impl- how, they, how the implementation of that idea, once you've made it fan fiction to me, then makes it kind of off limits. So, um, but like even my world building for subversive, I could take that world building, that werewolf world building, and do something else with it. It's just, for me, the world building and that particular plot or very entrenched with each other. And so um, without the plot, there's the world building is sort of in that particular case. I, I created the world to make the plot happen. Um, so, But you could a write a bit. series of novellas with original characters using those, those concepts of... Um, I could, if, but I would have to come up with another story idea that I found compelling using... Um, that world building. So, which I could do. I mean, the world building is, is all mine. So as long as I, you know, came up with something, it's just the, in, when I, it came, when it came to, um, it became more of an issue with descendant because I actually wanted to stop. I like, I wanted to dig my heels in and turn back time and undo it. Um, so that I could tell the story that I had plotted with original characters. And that was um, a surprising revelation to me, you know, that I had regret. Uh, so, I would, yeah, I would, be, I, would, I would be more judicious in the future with my decision-making. Um, but sometimes you, just, but sometimes you misstep. And, and I, I, I could not have predicted, because, I mean, mediums were a um, – Mediums were a concept I wasn't particularly interested in in the, in the urban fan, mediums and ghosts in the urban fantasy genre was not a concept I was particularly interested in. So it surprised me that it gelled with me as well as it did. So sometimes you just don't know until you're into something, into writing it, how it how it's going to go, and that's just the way that's just the way it happens. When it comes to the challenge, I purposefully try to create challenges that um, will give the participants new experiences. Um, 
especially when it comes to like themes and like with the world building, that's why I gave you so many options, whether you could, you know, move your characters into a different fandom or wholesale or make your own world or, you know, just to work with it that way. Because um, for me, every writing experience I have is a learning experience. And so I kind of want to um, share that with the participants of Upgrade. So when I have a structured theme like that, when I have a structured challenge like that, um, that's the purpose. When it comes to a theme like what's happening in April, that's just kind of, you know, stretching your mind, relaxing a little bit after Nano, get getting your breath back, try something new, you know, try something old. Mm-hmm. It's just about relaxation and um, keeping your um, keeping your hand in because you want to write every day. And I, I think that after, <laughs> after, after Nana, for April, coming into April, I mean, I really pondered. It got me, it, you know, last November got me really pondering, like, what do I want to do with my fan fiction? Where do I want to go with it? What do I want to do? Um, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm putting myself at odds with myself if I'm focusing on doing a bunch of world building in, um, in the original fiction side, and I'm doing a bunch of world building on the fan fiction side, I feel like, I'm, like my, my interests are competing with each other. And so it did get me pondering a little bit. Um, and it, what I kind of kind of came to the conclusion is I'm kind of a – well, I'm not kind of. I'm very much a one true I, – I find a character, and I, like, fall in love with them. And it just – I will go down with that character. Some people say I'll go down with this <laughs> ship. I will go down with that character. And it's difficult yeah. – to pull me away from, and I'll, I can do it, you know, I can do it. I have done it. Um, it's like, I, that's all I write, but I get very focused on um, one character. So because of that, um, you know, I thought that that's I That's why Tony is have, her unicorn. Tony is my unicorn. And before, you know, my exile days, Alex Krychek was my unicorn. And, you really? know, and, huh? Really? That's the one you picked? Yeah. <laughs> That was my unicorn, yeah. Um, the rat bastard was my unicorn back in the Exiles days. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have written a story that didn't have him in it. Um, and I was perfectly willing to let him bang like practically the entire rest of the characters on the show. So, I, you know, so I kind of have had that trend in kind of how I, um, how I write. So. Um, I mean, I have actually, I have like, I'm developing actually more from a writing interest. I'm developing more of an interest in Teen Wolf as a fandom um, to write. But my segue into that, my kind of testing the waters is with the, my unicorn, which is with Tony, which is why I did, you know, decided that first story that really popped for me a couple of years ago, the first one I really kind of dug into and really did, was the one that had Tony in it. And then the, the other ones I had plotted, um, don't have him in it so it's more of like you know getting taking my unicorn into this fandom getting used to it seeing if i like it and then moving on but i you know i realized in the in the pondering yes adulting i wasn't considering what i wanted to do i still have lots of things i could do with um tony that i haven't done yet you know i have things i haven't tried fandoms i haven't tried putting him in um that don't involve doing elaborate original world building so, um, and then there are some fandoms that I'm pondering actually trying to write in that have nothing to do with my unicorn, which is kind of a an odd thought a little bit for me right now, is taking the, not, not doing anything with the unicorn. 
but it did it did kind of it made so that was kind of like a both positive and negative of what happened of November was it did get me thinking about you know where I want to draw the lines between original fiction and fan fiction and what I want to do with fan fiction versus original fiction since I am working on both of them and um I think sometimes it's a good idea to um stop and think about what you want to do you know what you're doing and why you're doing Depending upon what my, your goals are, of course. My road back into fan fiction um, began because I got really, 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 really stressed out and stopped writing altogether. Um, There's a lot of pressure to write on spec, and um, I felt like I was um, kind of drowning, and I needed. I needed a creative outlet that had no expectations. And so that yeah. was really... Um, and I started reading... Um, my, I was watching Stargate Atlantis um, with my husband, and I thought, well, you know, I wonder what they have any fan fiction on here. Because I'd read Star Trek. I'd read a lot of Star Trek fan fiction. And I'd written some, but and I'd never published it. And I'd written a lot of Harry Potter that I'd never published as well. And... Um, never put anywhere out there. It's just in notebooks and eventually on um, really crappy-ass software on a computer lab. But I was like, okay, what do I do with this? And um, I went and I ended up on the pit, fanfiction.net, and I uh, was reading Stargate. And then I was like, okay, there there has to be more than this. There has to be more than fanfiction.net. And I found Wraithbait. And I was like, okay, okay, that's good, that's good. And then then I found Area 52, and I, mm-hmm. I, there we go. <laughs> you know? But then I I really was kind of just, me, just meandering around um, fandom. And then I found this story, and it was called Time in a Bottle by Astolot. And I read it, and I fell in love with her and her story <laughs> and her pairing. And I was like, here I am. <laughs> And I landed. I'd already been writing um, Dark Places in the Soul, and I was like, but I wasn't satisfied with what I was writing. It, it wasn't, it wasn't satisfying, and I was, I was just kind of fucking around with it, and I just, it, it wasn't getting where I wanted it to go. And then I read Astolot, and it, everything just kind of clicked into place. Everything just went, oh, that's where I went wrong. I had the wrong pairing in my story. If Dark Places in the Soul had been McKay Shepard, it'd probably, it'd probably still be in progress, by the way, because I just. I wasn't getting there. It just it just wasn't happening. I, I wasn't getting there. And um, but Astolot, um took me down the golden path. And if you've never read Time in a Bottle, you need to go read that shit right now because it is awesome. Great story. Um, read all Astolot because she's fucking amazing, awesome. Can't get any better. She's also, I think, a pro writer at this point, but I'm not sure what her pen name is. I don't think it's a secret. I just don't know it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that was my that was my my moment in fandom when I fell in love, and I'm like, oh yeah, there we go, there we go. All she wrote, and then it was very relaxing and very comforting to write in fandom. Naomi Novik mm-hmm. is her pen name. Um, I didn't think it was a secret. Uh, and it was, um, 
very relaxing and it was very comforting and um, the Stargate fandom was very welcoming. Um, even with Dark Places and Soul, it was very welcoming and um, you need a beta. Like, really? Do I? What's beta? <laughs> I'll get one. I'll get two or three. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because it was like... Um, Yeah. So in a lot of ways, Rough Trade is my way of giving back to fandom because I kind of got lost as a writer. Um, and I still write original fiction, uh, and and it's. Uh, but I'll be perfectly honest; it isn't often as emotionally satisfying to me as fan fiction is, and I have no explanation for that. Because it isn't like I'm a slave to canon, so it isn't like I'm knee deep in canon aspects of my fan of, of my fan fiction. My fan fiction is always, almost, you know, intensely alternate universe, and so it isn't it isn't that part that's the it's the lack of pressure. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. There is something, I mean, you know, fandom can create pressure or put pressure on you. And Kira, um, I think that you did, you did something, you know, you recognized really early on that you were not going to let, let fandom pressure you. Um, in part, there's, there's two sides of that, which is one, you, you're going to behave in my space. There's the setting your boundaries. But the other side is, you know, to, you know, approach your craft and how you post and publish in a way that doesn't press, put pressure more pressure on you. Well, yeah, um, that's one reason why like, I like progress like that. Yeah, and committing to a publication schedule and all of those kinds of crazy shenanigans. People, people let themselves kind of even if they, you know, it's like you see so many people do it that you think it's a good. That's the way it's done. That I can commit to publishing every Sunday. No, I mean <laughs> it may seem like that that's a thing to do, but don't, don't. Don't let yourself, because no one needs to have that pressure of where, um, you know, you're at the hospital with a family member, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I promised people. Um, and people don't know what's going on in your life, right? And they don't have any right to know what's going on in your life. Um, and yet you didn't post on Sunday, and you're going to go home from, you know, spending all night at the hospital with somebody you care about intensely and have, you know, 40 messages saying, how come you didn't post? that can be really, really like a bad moment for you. Um, so just the whole idea of committing to publication schedules. And I mean, I know some people are really happy with posting whips. It's never worked for me. It, I find it intensely uncomfortable. Um, so just, I think that that's one of the things you did for yourself is figure out, you know, one, how to set the boundary about what fandom is not allowed to do. And the other side was to structure your craft in fandom in a way that didn't pressure you. Um, otherwise, it's not fun. Hold on, there are plenty of dudes out there, and I do mean dudes, that have a real problem with my boundaries. Um, I don't know, they have a whole group dedicated to it. Granted, I wasn't their original focus, but I became their focus. Um, and I still occasionally become their focus. Um, but uh, I don't... Um, there are people who don't respond well to boundaries. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how dare you tell me no? Um, really? Yeah. 
out there assume they have the right to give beta and to correct you and to intrude on your work with their um with their point of view and their desires and their wishes and um that's one reason why rough trade is so heavily moderated and why the rules are what they are um and a lot of readers find them restrictive and offensive and I don't care I don't I'm never going to care because rough trade um is and wild hair for that matter are not made they were not created for the reader these are writer spaces the wild the wild hair project is available to the public but it is not a reader space it is a writer's space and rough trade is a writer space times 10 yeah. i'd be perfectly willing to close rough trade to members only if the writers that participated wanted that and then call the members list like a race queen (laughs) (laughs) I would because it's not for readers it is a writer's space and readers have to behave a certain way or they are not welcome Because there is a one of the things I I posted about this one day, um, in another context, that archives, um, aside from their infrastructure, they have you know they have two things right they they have two things they're bringing together, and especially on fanfiction.net where they are supported by advertising that traffic is really instrumental to them um, getting the advertising they need to support themselves. So um, they, they treat, so they have, so they basically have those two commodities, well, the three commodities, they've got their infrastructure, they've got the readers, and they've got the writers. But they, they act like, and all, every arc I've ever been on acts like the reader is the most important commodity. Um, and that can be really demoralizing when, you know, the place where you're publishing your fiction, and I'm not, I'm not saying don't publish on AO3. If that, if that makes you happy, go for it. I did it for a long time. But it can be demoralizing when you feel like the needs of the reader outweigh the needs of the writer. Like, I mean, how long did people have to ask for comment control the ability to delete and moderate comments on AO3, um, which is a really big deal. Comment control is a really big deal. And I know some readers talk about that you have comment control is something no writer needs because you shouldn't be censoring what, what readers have to say and blah, blah, blah. And I just want to go, shut up. Oh, but, fuck you in the eye. <laughs> right. But rough trade <laughs> is kind of revelation. If your only experience with writing is on an archive, it kind of is revelation where the writer is valued more highly than the reader. And actually I had somebody write me and say that it kind of it made them feel bad that I was had said in that post that readers shouldn't be valued. I didn't actually say readers shouldn't be valued as high as the writer. Um, but in the in in the commodity type thing, right? There is nothing, literally nothing without writers. There is no You've got a bunch of people milling around on the site with some ads and no, nothing to do, right? So there's nothing without the writers. 
And yet the writers are treated like, well, because there's enough of you, we can afford to treat you badly. So, um, you know, and I really value my readers. I think my readers are great. I think they're wonderful. But it, our relationship isn't exactly it, 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 the the fact that I wrote something and you read it does not mean that the relationship has there's there's the equivalency there. People like false equivalencies, and false equivalencies have never worked for me. So saying that because you know fanfiction.net saying well you know there's writers and readers we got to value them the same. It's like why do we have to value them the same? If all the writers said fuck you. Um, you wouldn't have way. any content to sell advertising on. Right. You've got a bunch of ads and a bunch of people looking for something to read and disinterested in your ads. So, you know, you can't treat these two commodities like they're the exact same thing. And I understand that it is a balancing game, you know, but they basically universally, decision after decision after decision, hurt the writers and their decision process about, well, readers want this and writers want that. Well, we're going to give the readers what they want. Um, so, you know, but it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing is like, if that's the only environment you've ever had, and then you come on, you do something like on, on, um, um, you come back onto, um, the rough trade, boy, I couldn't get that out of my mouth. You come onto a site like rough trade where you having an environment that you're comfortable to produce in is more important um, or posting your works on wild hair where you're never going to have to see crappy comments, it can be really astonishingly different to be told, you know, kind of given the, the thing of like you matter, as opposed to the message I feel like a lot of times is we've got an audience, aren't you lucky to be able to post here? But, nope, not I find that. Ugh, uh, I want to just stab people. <laughs> But no, I mean, I have gotten some pretty nasty emails and comment forms about the 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 um the atmosphere of rough trade. Uh, not so much the wild hair project because it's not as popular yet as rough trade is. Because um, we had 2.7 million vi- visits last year on rough trade, um, and so it makes a difference. You know, the, the size of your audience, the, the more the more assholes you'll encounter, and um. But it it boils down to the fact that that's my shit, and they don't get an opinion. It's not a democracy on rough trade. It's a kingdom, and I'm the queen. And they don't got to like it, and they don't got to read it. And they can fuck right off. Um. What was it? Somebody, I somebody made a comment on, on a thread um, somewhere that what was it that readers are your livelihood in fan fiction? Was that the yes, your livelihood in fan fiction. I almost lost my mind. I had to I had to sit on my hands, but I didn't start a fun I had to walk away. I had to walk away and not respond to that bullshit. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? There is no my livelihood. Goddamn." livelihood in fandom. If you've got a livelihood in fandom, you're breaking the law. And second, second, nothing, nothing, nothing a reader gives you is worth suffering 
a single instant of abuse. If 50 people comment on your site and tell you you're wonderful, and one person tells you you're terrible, those 50 comments mean nothing. And we all know it. It takes one commenter, one person to dig into you, to dig into your craft, to dig into your story, to dig into your stomach and make you feel like shit and everything else, everybody else has said, means nothing in that moment. So if you let one person into your space who is a bitch, the 50 awesome people you have with you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It it makes you, it's... Those 50 awesome people can sit with you and have a beer and you guys can commiserate and you'll feel better and have company, but you're not going to want to sit down and write. And that's the trade-off. That is the trade-off with assholery is that, um, and I've had people say it like they don't get it. Like you've got, you know, you've got like 100 people said something nice about your story and it's one person. So it's, 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 the issue is it's not, it's not that I don't appreciate the 100 nice comments and the 100 people. And a, a lot of, some of those people that say nice things in my stories, people I actually know on Facebook who will sit down and commiserate with me and let me rant for half an hour or, you know, whatever to get, help me get past it emotionally. But even once I get past that moment of being really upset because somebody was abusive to me, I'm not going to turn around and do what I maybe had been planning to do, which was write. Because there's something about writing that it's not really like a princess in the pea thing, but something throws you off of wanting to pick up and write. And anger is really a bad thing for me in writing. It can just show me right out. I got to do something else. I will, you know, I might sit down and marathon battle on five um, rather than write that day. So, and that's why the rules on Rough Traders are why they are, because it only takes one person to throw a writer off their game. And when you're in a writing challenge like Rough Trade, you can't afford that. Yeah, because you're supposed to be writing the whole month. And the idea is you write every day. And honestly, it's about building, you know, if you if you build like a good habit with writing, you try to do something with your creativity every day. That's a really good thing to do. It's a really good thing for, for me, for my soul, for my just everything about me to do something creative, whether it's plotting or actually typing words, to do some of that every day. Um, and when some asshole gets in your space, maybe those hundred things somebody said will get you over it quicker, but it doesn't take the sting out of that, and it doesn't take away the cost that you – people act like you should just be able to blow it off because – people love you and that, but it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Um, when, when you get thrown off your stride in life, um, you don't get to, you know, you don't always just get right back on the same path in the exact same way. And I've had many, many days where I had, I had set, I had cleared the decks to be able to do a lot of writing on that particular day and gotten it fucked up by somebody saying the wrong thing. So I had a day, um, I had a day. I actually left this comment on my side. I don't know why I left it. Probably because I wanted to respond to it. Um, it was. Um, I had cleared the whole day to, to work on something because I wanted. To, I wanted to finish this short story that I had plotted. And um, somebody left a comment on one of my stories, and it was one word. And it said adequate. <laughs> and I mean. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. I just adequate per- <laughs> adequate period, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, and it was like it was I like full body twitch. I can't even. I'm so sorry. I would all. I mean, honestly, in my, in, for me, I would have to say, "Oh, I hated this," and I'd be like, "What the fuck did you read it?" And I'd laugh it off. But adequate, I don't know something about adequate. Just really, just it got under my skin. I had like my eye was twitching, um, and I wasn't even really all that angry. But it's just I was so peeved that I just could not function. <laughs> Adequate. 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 <laughs> like, oh, really? Gee, thank you ever so much. I feel so that's like That's like having some, that's like having sex and having them roll off and say, that was adequate. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. That's so, that's, so, that's, so, that's so damn ugly. What the fuck is wrong with you, commenter? And Seriously, they, that they weren't doing that to be nice. They weren't doing that to be nice. No, this that was just like, pure assholery right there. It was complete ass. It was deliberate assholery. It was actually, I felt like it was more deliberately assholish than someone who just goes, um, "Wow, this really sucks." <laughs> so recently, I got an email from this person that, um, for some reason, that they didn't understand. They couldn't log into Rough Trade, and they couldn't. Um, uh, get their password reset and I was like oh let me look at that and investigate and so um three days later I responded to oh that's you see the thing is is during the last challenge you were a real asshole so I deleted you and I banned your email address now you can set up a new email account and set up a new account if you would like um just don't be an asshole and they responded back that I was wasting their time, and why didn't I respond immediately and tell them that? And I responded, when you play bitch games, you win bitch prizes. And that's all I said. <laughs> they never responded back. I don't know if they made another account, but I'll throw them off again if they do it again. Because, because, as I said, Rough Trade's not for readers. And I've never made any bone about that. I've, I've, I've never, ever pretended otherwise. So if you're surprised eight years in that um, it's not what you want it to be, you're just dumb, and I don't have time for you. Why well, haven't you learned yet? <laughs> I told my mom that I play bitch games, you win bitch prizes, and she says, that's amazing, I love it, I'm putting it in my lexicon right now. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that was said up earlier in the chat room, um, I, I'm not going to be able to find it, so I'm not going to be able to attribute it basically properly. But basically that somebody had – we're talking – I think it was, came up during the time we were talking about posting schedules. Um, and this came up on Facebook recently. Um, and um, 
which was that somebody had had like a lot of tragedy in their life, a writer had a lot of tragedy in their life and didn't, couldn't ever get back to their fan fiction or whatever. I don't know if their story was abandoned or what, um, but that somebody, you know, the really angry fans and somebody went out and finished their story for them. Um, and the reason I kind of mentioned this, because this came up, somebody asked um, on Facebook recently uh, if, it, you know, if a story had been kind of languishing, and I think that their example was for like a year, and I just kind of rolled my eyes, um, it would it be okay to go ahead and finish that story as long as you, and post the original story and just be sure you attribute it to them? No. No, this is never, ever. This is, and people will challenge, kind of go, I think people kind of go off on the whole idea of, well, what do you think fan fiction is? If I want to finish your story, I will. No, no. <laughs> it's really not exactly the same thing. Um, if you I mean, it story, might be a fine line. Actually, I don't even think it's all that fine. It's not fine. It is not fine. If someone finishes my work for me, it's not my work, it's theirs. And... I'm going to tell my readers this. And if you ever see somebody continuing my work without my permission, you feel free to troll the shit out of them. <laughs> now, I don't often say that. I don't often ask for that. But if you see somebody writing a fucking sequel to my work 10 years from now, if, if I've died or something, and they're trying to write sequels to my shit, I want you to troll the fuck out of them. Not that I plan on dying, but if I did, in my memory, I would expect you all to troll the shit out of anybody who continued my work. Except for Lady Holder. <laughs> Julie, you could too. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But I'm just serious. If okay. it's a stranger, if it's some stranger, I expect you to troll the shit out of them. <laughs> I thought that there really is, there was another. There was another. It is, it is super offensive. There was another. Um, there was another positive too. There's a fight, and it kind of is tangential to this adequate thing. Um, one of the big positives, it, it, sometimes you meet some people that you just, you meet, I've met some great people through Rough Trade. Um, I mean, a lot of, I mean, definitely, you know, Kira and Lady Holder and, and um, Azure and, and definitely the, my bitches. But aside from that, just, just so many people that I've talked to, that I've met through Rough Trade, that I talked to on my site. That I talked to on Facebook. I talked to some people on the phone. I've had actually some really long, really long conversations with people on the phone. I've met a couple people in person. So that has been a super positive. But it's the pinnacle for the positive people meet is I met my like platonic soulmate through Rough Trade, which was in my second challenge. Um, you did. This was my cinnamon, my cinnamon tart. Yeah, we got we got minion married um, that year, and. Um, she was writing Pendragon Rising, and I was writing The Journey Home. And we were sort of, you know, platonically flirting with each other in the comments, telling each other just basically how awesome their our stories were. Her story, I was every time she'd post, I would just run right out and read it and telling her, you know, this is incredible. Every time I'd post, she would be going. And I think I said to Mike, we should just, we should just, you know, you know, but I think I said something like, we should just stop all this flirting and just get engaged. Anyway, that was kind of the beginning of the end for like my best bud and me so journey home that particular story has a special place in my heart because um the story that Finna and I became best friends through um and that was the story that somebody said was adequate so it's like you 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 you've wounded me dude wounded me this is my this is my cinema cinema story so don't mess with me man 
So that was a big positive. The people are, are big, big positive. You know, outside of my craft and stuff, um, the friends I've made, the, the, the people that the creative, the behind-the-scenes creative um, um, the creative, the boost to my creativity of stuff that's happening behind the scenes in Rough Trade has been, it, it's invaluable. It's, it's, it's something that I could never have imagined. And I, I don't know, I don't know that I could ever express adequately to Kira how grateful I am for, for what she's done with Rough Trade. So Kira, oh, thank you. You made me cry. You made me cry. The bottom of my heart. Thank you. It it's it's um it's beautiful and lovely when it works right on Rough Trade. And um there have been some frustrating experiences and there have been times when I um got so furious, I cried because I'm a furious crier. Um and bitched at Lady Holder for a whole hour one night about somebody. Um and um Oh, what am I saying? It was like a whole fucking month I bitched with this person, and uh, but you know, in the end, um, Rough Trade is is about about writers and about growing as a writer and about being safe to explore concepts and new ideas and just to see how it works. And um, as much as the deadline is a goal, it's it's not meant to be punitive and it's not meant to be a punishment. It's just a goal, and if you don't meet it, you don't meet it, and it's not. It's not meant to be um, demoralizing if you don't, because when you try on rough trade, you win. And as long as you try, you win, and and that's the point. That's right. <clears throat> so if you're on the fence about trying rough trade, just do it. Just just try it. And you know, honestly, just for doing one you, post. Even if you have an established pen name in um in fandom and you want to try it but you don't want to try it with the pressure of your current audience, you can always join Rough Trade with a name nobody knows. You don't have to be um out there to get out there, if you know what I mean. There mm-hmm. have been times when I've been tempted to write under an assumed name on Rough Trade. <laughs> I bet you we would spot you. If not, <laughs> I should if try not it. the first, I bet you for sure. Even if I, I bet you I would know you in in your first five thousand words, but for sure by your first sexy. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's Kira. <laughs> I should try that and see and see how many see how many people get it right. See how many people get it right. Anyways, we're yeah. down to 48 seconds. <laughs> so say good night. Good night, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> 